The first reading is taken from John, chapter 7, on page 1072, and beginning at verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who, ha- who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second lesson is from Acts chapter 2, to be found on page 1093. Acts chapter 2, beginning at the beginning. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it? that each of us hears them in our native language. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Bit of a shock there, wasn't it? Let's pray. 
Father, we've opened your words. Now we ask that you would open our hearts, our minds, our very lives, our very selves to be flooded today, to be flooded afresh each day, to go on being filled with your Holy Spirit. For the Spirit at work in us is the fuel that the boat needs to keep it going. And apart from you, Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. So come into this time now and fill it, we pray, for we are empty and weary and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I did some gardening yesterday. Thank you, Pete. This is my garden slide. You on? There we are. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> An utter transformation, Ruth, isn't it? Amazing. <laughs> this is a garden at Chelsea. Chelsea is on our minds a lot. I was with a silver medalist yesterday from Chelsea at Malcolm and uh, Jenny's celebration. Uh, she did a floral display from Pink's from Devon. But what struck me as I was in my garden, which isn't quite like this, uh, just onto the next slide, some more flowers here. These one, look at it, it's amazing. It just speaks life, doesn't it, really? That the world is such an alive place. And so I was in my garden after it had rained, before the next set of rain, because it's bank holiday, remember? So I've got to get in there quick. And it was sunny yesterday, so it was cutting the grass day. And what struck me is suddenly how everything has come to life. The peonies are out, the irises, the bulbs that I planted are pushing through the mud and the earth and everything just seems to be alive. Even you, look at you, you're alive. The breath you've just taken, you're alive. Let's celebrate. This life is pulsating through us. And it happens every year. We move from winter where there's nothing, it seems. But it's all going on still, pulsating life that brings this to life. To us, a sheer gift from God. And Psalm 36 says, God is the fountain of life. All life, all life flows from him, from no other source. Whatever you thought life came from, it comes from God. God saw what he was made, and it was good. God creates. God is creator. And all that has come into existence is alive with his life. John, at the very beginning of his gospel, wants us to know. And in Genesis we read, the spirit hovered, not hoovered, some people think it's hoovered, hovered over the earth, over the surface of creation. And creation came into being. Life, my garden, your life, my life, all this life. And amazingly in the Bible, the word used to contrast Yahweh, the God of Israel, with other gods, is this word, living. It is an exile among the temples of Assyria and Babylon. The people of God sang psalms. My soul thirsts for you, the living God, Psalm 63. And when David faces Goliath, that mighty warrior, David says to him, this little wee chap of a shepherd, who was Scottish, obviously, but anyway. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Mary. Anyway, bad, bad, bad translation. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? Living God. And in Jeremiah, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due for among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms. There is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Upsar. They are the work of the craftsmen and the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. 
They are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. He is the everlasting God. What is the difference with our God? He is living. Our God is living. And God is the fountain of life, and all life flows from him. All that has come into existence is because of him. Life is one of the major themes of John's gospel. And it's revealed powerfully in Jesus, placed dead in a tomb, who is then himself flooded with life, resurrection life, and opening the floodgates of the Spirit to pour upon all flesh, bringing the very life of God to all of us, life in all its fullness, as John writes in chapter 10 of Jesus saying, I've come that you may have life, life in all its fullness. And our passage today in John 7 that we're looking at now celebrates that life. For it's harvest time. It's around October and the Feast of Tabernacles is underway. People will have left their towns, their villages, their homes and they're gathering at Jerusalem and they're building little huts, booths out of palm branches, temporary shelters to remind themselves of their utter reliance upon God. Not their homes, not their towns, not the places where they feel secure. Coming and building these temporary shelters to remind them that God, God the living one, is their deliverer. It's a bit like going to new wine. You suddenly pitch up in all these tents and the rain comes down. No, it doesn't, it doesn't. It's gonna be sunny this year. But it's just masses of people, thousands of people coming. They leave their nice warm beds and their duvets and their lovely washing machines and all sorts of things and bathrooms. We leave our bathrooms to go to New Wine. It's a real sense of leaving everything to come, to come and meet with God as our reliance is on Him, not our en suite. Where the the ancient truths would be shared once again of water gushing forth from the rock, pouring life into desert dry people. That's what God does. In the middle of barren wilderness, there they just hit the rock, Moses, and water gushes out and waters the people that they may live and know life. Day after day, during this time of what Jesus is experiencing himself in John chapter 7, you would see people worshipping. You'd see people processing. And as they processed, they would carry water up to the temple where it was poured out through a little gully as a sign of the end times that prophesied by Zechariah and Ezekiel. And the symbolism of water pouring forth from the temple to bring life, life into the world, Ezekiel 47, to the dead lands of the desert, to the dead sea beyond. It would come from dead to life, teeming with all kinds of living creatures, where previously there had been nothing. Now there is life and life in all its fullness. And these acts vividly express the longing for the outpouring of the life-giving spirit. That's what these prophecies were about, that one day God would pour himself out upon the earth and bring all people to, to life. And so on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, these seven days, when the water ceremony had been performed every day, on this day, as it's performed again, Jesus stands And he says solemnly, he he solemnly announces on the last day of the feast, the great day, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers 
of living water. For me, there's a kind of irony in the words of Jesus. If anyone thirsts. If. Is there an if? We are in a Middle Eastern country. It is hot, it is dry, it is dusty. There is always not far from anyone thirst. Everybody surely would have been thirsty. This message is for everyone, everyone who thirsts. And we see journeys in the Bible to the well in John 4 of a Samaritan woman who goes in the heat of the day for water. Physically, we thirst. Our bios life, our biological life, needs water for us to survive. A lot of us is made of water. And Ben Grills, adventurer, writer, and presenter, would want us to know that if we were stranded on a desert island as Walcott, if our boat suddenly hit a desert island, the first thing he'd say when we get out, find water. Find a fresh source of water. You're going to need water. At the festival, people are praising God for the rain. For the rain that has fallen, that's given them water to drink, that has harvested the food that they are now eating and the thirst that they have quenched after gathering the harvest in the fields in the heat of the day. This is the context in which Jesus stands up and says, come to me. Come to me if you want water which will quench the longing of your soul. Only God can bring the water that will flood your Zoe life, your spiritual life. Come to me. Accept me. And I will put my spirit in you. I will put my new life within you. And it will give you the kind of life that you have longed for. Like longing for clear cool, refreshing water. Just as your body needs that, so your soul, your life that God has breathed into you needs the very life of God. And as Jesus stood up on the last day of the festival, he knew we'd been created for life. He knew, he knew we'd been created for life. He knew we longed for spiritual life. For he himself, as God, had placed that longing within us And these are the words I want to finally dwell on. The water that I shall give shall become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Let him come to me, not to a well. Let him come to me and drink. For out of their heart shall flow rivers, streams, of living water. So often we think we must go and find the source of the water. Dennis shared that a few weeks ago from Uganda, speaking of Joanna Lumley, looking for the Nile and not finding it in Uganda. He was horrified, horrified that he got, she got that wrong. The spring, the source of the Nile. We think we have to look outwards for the Spirit, as if we have to go and find him. Go and find him at the next conference. The next service, it may happen. The right book. If only I read the right book about the Holy Spirit, I might go to Toronto. What Jesus says to those who believe in him is the Spirit is found within. The Spirit is found within us, within our own hearts. Awesome words. Awesome. Where they're stood in the temple where the presence of God, they had to go 
Go to the temple to find God, to meet with him there, to make their sacrifices, to make right. Now, Jesus is saying, God is going to live in here. And we are going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit within our own hearts, within our own selves. Now, sometimes if a guest comes, we vacuum, we clean, we make the house presentable. But the word translated heart in this passage, the place from which the river flows, knowing that in Ezekiel, the river flows from the place of sacrifice, and the place of sacrifice is the cross of Christ. Through his death, the Spirit will be released into the world upon all flesh. But this word heart in the Greek literally means guts. It means womb or it means belly. So the home of the Spirit, Jesus is saying, and it's Jesus saying this, it is not in the intellect, it's not in the concept of realms and ideas, but he literally resides in your guts. He resides in the deep core of you and me. He resides where your passions have their springs. That place even where conflict comes from, that anger rises from, where confusion is sometimes to be found. Sometimes in our guts where we feel vulnerable and we're sort of butterflies in our stomachs. Where desire comes from. That often in Christianity we may fear, but that's where we are told by Jesus the Holy Spirit dwells and comes in. And we've all heard the story of the man who was searching for something at night under a street light. Did you lose something here? He is asked. Oh no, over there, he replies, pointing to a dark corner in the distance. But this is where the light is good. And it's the story of the spiritual quest of so many of us. We don't think we will find God in the chaos places, the dark places, the places of passion and anger sometimes, where God dwells himself. And out of his heart, Jesus says, the spirit is within you. He's not out there. And I wonder if you can carry in you the image of a spring of water welling up in you to eternal life, in your body, in you, physically. For it is in our living that the living God moves and flows. This is where the Spirit helps us, in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God, Paul writes in Romans 8. This is the Spirit, you see. The Spirit that is also known as fire. And fire is very warm and attractive if it's in a half. But if it's out of control, it's terrifying. Having seen the chalet at Liabi suddenly burst into flames, engulfed in flames, mercifully everybody got out because a small child was there and woke up and saw the flames. The power of fire is terrifying. And the power of water is terrifying, as we've seen, with tsunamis, with rivers where you sometimes walk along and it's really gentle and calm, 
peaceful, beautiful, as we did along the canal the other day. Then suddenly you get rocks and weirs and you've got this white water rafting. That's how the spirit of life, of adventure with God can feel. We can go along calmly. And sometimes he takes us on a whole new journey of adventure where we wonder if we're even going to stay in the boat. And this is the same spirit that poured into the part of Peter. Peter on the day of Pentecost, who then poured himself out into the streets of Jerusalem, poured him out for the life and ministry of Christ, that all should believe Jesus Christ is Lord. Peter, this is. Peter in all his earthiness, in all his doubts and denials, this is whom the Spirit fills. This is the man who transforms the church that Jesus Christ is going to grow through him. And it's because Jesus promised. He promised this would happen. And the promise Jesus makes in John 7 is in the first place a promise that his life-giving waters of the Spirit will flow from Jesus himself. He is, as Paul says, the rock which being struck, that is the crucifixion, gives a stream of life-giving water. But also, the promise is that same life-giving spirit will flow from all who believe, flowing out into the world as they did on the day of Pentecost. Not kept in the upper room, but out on the streets to share with all, to bring life to all, to bring life to all who are thirsty. Thirsty for real life, real living, <clears throat> not pseudo-life, not pretend living. So I close by asking you this Pentecost day, are you thirsty? Coffee will follow shortly, but are you really thirsty? Am I thirsty? Do I acknowledge the thirst in the very depth of my being, where sometimes I'm not a very nice person, where God wants to work in me that which is well-pleasing in his sight? And God will complete what he's begun, you see. Because sometimes people think, we've blown it up, that actually the very small balloon, you know, with no air in, nothing in it, that's how they feel spiritually sometimes. Flat, lifeless, weary, almost dead spiritually. We may look alive, but our spirit is weak. And Jesus wants to come in with living water, with life-giving air, that we may rise, rise with him, welling up to eternal life. Are we thirsty for the living water that Jesus promised in John 7 long ago and promises to us today? And you and I don't have to go looking for this, this well. We don't have to be a Joanna Lumley and look for this spring somewhere. No. He is within you. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe in him, he will flood you he will flood you and the Spirit of God will lead you into truth, true living. I was in my garden yesterday. 
I was in my garden, amazed by life, life pulsating through all of creation. It's life, it's color, and it's sheer abundance that the living God has created and that the living God sustains. It just happens. I do very little. I cut the grass because it keeps growing. The life keeps coming. God never gives up on his creation, even though it's moaning and groaning. He never gives up on you, even if you feel like a flat balloon. He is within you, sometimes in the place you least expect him to be. But he is there, continuing the redeeming work of Christ, the redeeming love that he's begun, and he will continue until we rise and we see him and we are overwhelmed with glory, utter glory. But it begins now as the beauty of the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. Let it happen to you. Become a well-watered garden and let his life flood you today. As the band return, I'm going to invite you to stand in a minute. And then we're simply going to pray. This really is between you and God. For God knows exactly where you are. He knows how well watered you are. Or he knows how dry you are. And how needy you are. All he asks is that you say to him, I'm thirsty. I am thirsty. Not just for coffee. But I want to be stimulated by you, Lord. I want to be brought to life by you. It is that simple. It is that costly. Holy Spirit, spring of life, I can only surrender to you if I recognize that you flow in me. If I call you from afar or worship you at a distance, I am still evading the terrible and wonderful truth that you, the living God, have made your home within my depths. I need to learn from the very beginning of the Bible that you belong over the face of the waters of chaos. You are the shaper. You are the healer. You are the restorer through the grace of Christ of all that is within me. I need to dare. I need to dare to worship and love you where you are. In myself. In my guts. Give me courage today. Not to look up to you. But to look steadily within myself. 
and adore you there. Supremely at home in all my brokenness. I thank you. I thank you that you are within me with your life. With the fountain of life. Flow through each of us now, I pray. For I am thirsty and dry. Come and water me like a garden. And fill me with your color, your life, and with praise. We're going to listen to a song. It's like a prayer sung over you, over me. Flood over me. I am weary, I am empty. Come and fill me. Make this your prayer. Invite him in without the need to tidy up. Just let him see you as you are to know your thirst and simply let it come 